0: Everybody and welcome to Fearless, Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, and I am so happy you could join me. For this Empower Hour, my mission is to spotlight inspiring women and talk about topics that are important to you on health, wellness, and nutrition. You can find all of my shows on iHeart.com and the free iHeart app anytime, anywhere. And, of course, please follow me at Mighty Melanie and join me on Facebook at Fearless Fabulous Melanie and my blog, com. Uh, I had a long talk and walk with my husband, David. Yet, First of all, everybody, happy leap year. If this is the day you do something new, do it today. Take the leap. And speaking of leap, uh, I had a long walk and talk with my husband, David, yesterday because we both have aging parents, moms, knock wood healthy, Uh, but we think about and discuss frequently the day when we are going to have to become the caregivers to our mom. I probably think about it more because I'm an only child. David has two brothers. But uh, 60% of family caregivers across America are female. Uh, And according to, so that's like 4 in 10 adults, according to the Pew Research Center, now caring for a sick or elderly family member as more people develop chronic illnesses in the population ages. Nearly half of family caregivers report performing such medical nursing tasks, uh, and providing injections, administering intravenous fluids or otherwise managing medications. And 30% of U.S. adults say they provided unpaid, they provided unpaid care to an adult relative or friend in the past year, um, which is on the rise. Um, When I announced the topic of the show, I got a lot of feedback from people on uh, social media uh, who are caring for um, their parents. They said, This is such a critical topic. Uh, And so I couldn't think of anybody more perfect to have on today to discuss it than Dr. Terry Fulmer. She's a PhD in RN and the president of the John A. Hartford Foundation in New York City. It's a not-for-profit organization dedicated to improving the care of older adults Uh, Dr. Fulmer, I'm going to call her Terry, because everybody knows I'm informational I'm very um, casual, she (laughs) serves as the chief strategist for foundation giving is also the chief spokesperson for advancing the foundation's mission um, she is a tireless advocate for improving the care of older adults and has held distinguished leadership positions in prestigious academic institutions, including Northeastern University, New York University, College of Nursing, and Columbia University. And Dr. Fulmer has had uh, held and dialed chairs at Columbia University, at NYU, and is an elected member of the National Academies of Medicine, where she currently chairs the Forum of Aging disability independence. So I'd like to welcome you, Dr. Terry Fulmer. Melanie, thank you
1: so much for having me today. It's such a pleasure and hello to all the family caregivers and family care recipients out there today.
0: Well, I have to, uh, you know, with March, tomorrow is March 1, and it's International Women's History Month, and also National Nutrition uh, Month, which is a a big topic with our dear elderly. So, caregivers really are the unsung heroes um, when it comes to taking care of loved ones. Um, And as I said, 60% of family caregivers are female. Um, What... You know, I have a list of questions for you, but you know, the first is, you know, what are some of the most important healthcare issues that are affecting older adults that a family caregiver should be, you know, watching for, or thinking about?
1: That's a great question, Melanie. And when you think about some of the concerns that older people have, they fall into two buckets, if you will. The mm-hmm. first bucket I'm going to call our functional problems problems with eating you mentioned that problems with uh, getting to the store problems with getting dressed in the morning or bathing those are functional problems and they're very serious and they can without the ability to do that it leads to the need for more care and it certainly can also lead to older people feeling sad and depressed so that's very serious the other bucket are the illnesses that come with living to a very long old age and if we're fortunate Um, We can live with a number of chronic diseases, including cancer and cardiovascular disease, hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, So when you think about it, you have your functional problems and you have your um, health-labeled problems, such as chronic diseases, that we just mentioned. And so they go together and, and you have to be uh, balancing each all the time as a family caregiver, t- keeping an eye on um, what are some of the changes that are going on that might need special attention.
0: Well, and let's talk about some of those changes because some of them are cognitive, but also some of them are physical. That's so true. And
1: we know that with aging, there, come, there is a higher likelihood of having memory loss, um, mm-hmm as one gets older, that leads to a whole realm of safety issues and concerns, not only for the older person, but for the family caregiver. Mm-hmm. So you, you talked about not only just the cognitive problems that go along, but with some of the um, the the limitations that go along with that. Mm -hmm. But when a person has cognitive impairment, uh, it can be insidious. It can come on slowly. It can be hard to recognize. Sometimes a family caregiver will think that their their loved one, their mom, their dad, their friend is just trying to give them a hard time or maybe getting a little crabby. Mm -hmm. And, And in fact, it's a symptom that maybe something is changing. And it may be dementia, but it could also be a symptom of an infection or uh, of so, or some changes in the oxygen reaching uh, the blood, so you have to pay careful attention.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely, and and I think an, an issue that's um, very challenging. I know for me and my husband David is that we don't live in the same cities as our right. mothers. So, what would you say to someone? And there's so many of us out there who don't live nearby. Right, living
1: farther away. Um, is certainly, it adds a level of complexity. So if we, especially if you're an only child, you've talked about that, being Mm -hmm. the only child and living farther away means that you're going to have a whole layer of complexity that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about uh, only children versus multiple children in a minute. But even if you're an only <laughs> child, you can have a lot of people voting on care all the time and with mm-hmm. their their opinions, ideas, and sturdy votes. So it's complicated. When you live far away, you certainly need a support network in the area where your mother or father or older friend lives. And that might mean neighbors. could mean faith-based mem- uh, uh, faith, faith based people who are in their lives. It could be um people who deliver the mail every day your post office your ups person people who will say to you something's changing and so i think that you have to have your informal supports and then your formal supports a child living away an adult child living away should know who the primary care doctor is for their parent or loved one and that as basic as it sounds there's a number of times when i can say well tell me what's the name of your mom's doctor and they'll say i don't know
0: well i have to concur with that um if that's in, in the post that I wrote today which you've seen I haven't made it public yet I did 10, 10 things you really need to do before you die and, and that you I, it was because of this interview um, I know that and one of the things is is get a health care party somebody who can if you're traveling, and many women are busy traveling and going and doing, and if you have a, a parent who becomes ill and is in an emergency situation and has to go to the hospital, don't you need to have someone who can be your health care proxy while you're unavailable?
1: An older person will need a health proxy if they have cognitive impairment. Otherwise, they're, they're the same as you and me. They go to the hospital and they will talk about their their decisions, their preferred path, what they want and don't want. What we have to be careful about is not assuming that we have to answer for older people as they uh, enter the healthcare system because they have, in the, in the presence of cognitive capacity, they're the care directors themselves. Having said that, uh, if an older person doesn't have capacity and is in a, a tough spot, you do need to have that. You certainly have to do that. And to get it done in advance, as you point out, is really important.
0: It really takes planning. And the other thing I think you said, in addition to knowing your um, loved one's uh, medical doctor, what medications are they taking?
1: That's a great question, and and I also want to get back to your point about living away because in a minute mm-hmm. we can talk about technology, but we can also talk about that regarding meds. So it turns out that older people are on like 5 to 10 medications in any given time. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing all of us who, who study geriatrics know, it's that it's less is better, and the ability to decrease medications uh, to the degree possible is really, really important because it's complicated, complicated. Um, Uh, The studies show that of all the medications ever prescribed, only half of them are ever filled, and of those filled, less than half are taken, quote-unquote, appropriately. Mm. So, very complex. And sometimes I say to myself, if the patients I take care of ever took all the pills they were supposed to, I wonder... How that would go. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's very complicated, and it's important to make sure that you have systems, whether it be pill boxes or reminders. A lot of older people have their own, you know, cell phones where they set um, alarms. So then there are more sophisticated technologies that um, allow people to follow medication management remotely. So oh. interesting.
0: That's so, like apps. Yeah, oh, there are apps. Good and, to know.
1: Yeah, and there are uh, companies that, that can tell you if you take a pill bottle cap off, whether or not that happens every day and what time, and then they'll call the home and say you've just forgotten your pill. So we're in a whole new world, and as these technologies become more sophisticated, they'll also um, become less, less expensive as they get to be mainstream.
0: Oh, that's I'd love to, we'd love. To, I'm sure my listeners would love to get information of that. I know you wanted to get back to living away, and you wanted to add some more points. Sure.
1: So uh, we talked about having a support system in place that are all of our friends, but additionally there are there are technologies, mm-hmm. and and there are also. So when I think about that, you have the ability to do things like Skype with your mom. True. And I, does well, she do some that with you? No. <laughs> okay. No. Some do, some don't. And so it's like you're constantly trying to find the right key to the right fit of that person. Mm-hmm. Some older people readily adapt Skype and technology. Others say, oh no, but a daily phone call is very, very welcome. We know social connectivity is a real feature of healthy aging and, and a loss of social supports can be very devastating. The second thing we know is that exercise is vital. And so with social support and exercise, we can do a lot to keep people in home with less caregiving needs.
0: Well, yeah, I, I agree with exercise is vital, but a lot of our elderly don't get up and do it and they need to join and you know many that's what i love about ymca is because they have really great programs for um older adults uh because a lot of them just don't have the drive to get up and move unless somebody is doing it with them i know I'm, my mother my mother never exercised a day in her life uh, <laughs> and never will other than to chew um so you've got to you know work with that person right
1: Again, you're talking about the individuality. The phrase that's been around for so long is, if you've seen one old person, you've seen one old person. And so you really have to think about uh, what they need, what their desires and goals are. Very often, The person they were when they were 20 is very often the pe- person they are when they're 80. And right. so there are patterns of care we have to respect.
0: I'll tell you something that I find disturbing and... and- I'm going to research different services for it is, is, you know, I, I'm very big as a food professional in nutrition and I'm concerned about how many of our elderly are not eating properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going through that right now um, with her and, um, Wanted to, and it just kind of scratching my head, where to find services that deliver food. You know, you mentioned churches and family, you know, creating a support network, but like how to get food delivered to them. I have a friend who does it for people going through cancer, and like up here in New York, we have uh, Meals on Wheels, which is a wonderful organization, yeah. City Meals on Wheels. But I'm wondering if there's any other services out there, or what you can do to get someone food to make sure they're eating, yes. much less like receiving it, eating because a lot yeah. of them don't eat.
1: It's so true, and you've just pointed out one of the the best Programs I know, which is Meals on Wheels, and there are Mm -hmm. variations to it around the country, but in general, they they just do a spectacular job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And but to your point, you can deliver the meal, but if somebody doesn't go ahead and eat it, it really doesn't matter. So it's following weight, following you know whether or not you think uh you know getting the verbal assurance that somebody said that they're eating. But additionally, remember if there's memory loss, they may not remember if they Mm -hmm. ate or not. So all of these. But if you see weight loss and if you see trays that appear to be unopened or discarded food, it may be as simple as that the person forgot they didn't eat yet. That's, and that's that's kind of scary. You know, I always talk to people about this issue of making sure that you're attending to problems with eating and feeding, which mm-hmm. is the basis of nutrition. You are an expert in nutrition, so you can talk about the elements that are important in your nutrients. But again, if you can't pick up the spoon and get it to your mouth, or mm-hmm. if you just get distracted, that can be something that is very, um, very devastating to an older person. If they start to lose weight, they will become right. weak.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and some they just don't want to eat because food doesn't taste good to them.
1: Yeah, taste receptors do do decrease with aging. Yeah, and so I think it's,
0: it's important to yeah to, to to take somebody out if they're not eating in their home. Maybe you should take them out, right?
1: I think you should take them out for many reasons. One is it's a nice break in the mm-hmm. in the day. The second is it's that socialization aspect, and the the next thing is you can actually see what their food preferences are because they change, mm-hmm. and also see
0: whether or not they're able to functionally eat. Yeah. Very good points. Very good points. If anyone's listening, you know, take take your mom out. Don't just wait to Mother's Day. Right. You know, and and if you can't get people to go and suggest that he or she go out because it is not only about nourishment but about that social interaction because too many seniors are isolated and I think that and you'll agree that that really plays with your mind. Yes. Um, it really really does. Um, I want to um, address some a couple of other topics. Um, I could go on and on about the eating issue because I think it's it's a critical one because it just affects the entire system. but um, if you um, have, how do you help your? I'm I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but my mother told me last night she's got the flu and she doesn't have a primary care physician. She just yeah. hasn't found the time. How do you choose the best doctor for your elder care?
1: Oh, uh, that's that's a good question. So, uh, did your mother ever have a doctor? Yeah, she didn't like him anymore. Okay, well that so. happens. Things <laughs> change, people change on both sides, and so yeah. when there's a uh, and the other thing is that there's there's a lot of. Uh, doctors who change because they're in and out of different insurance products as well. So I think word of mouth is always very helpful if you're mother and I don't know where she lives if so she lived in a senior community you might ask other people where they've had good luck you might again ask um, uh, neighbors where they've had luck mm-hmm. you can call hospitals particularly and ask if they've got a geriatrics practice that could make some recommendations if they don't just ask for internal medicine and say my mom is 88 yeah. and she, she needs these things who are who and then interview your doctor go in together you do not have to accept whomever is uh, the name that's given good to point. you and if you decide that that person
0: when you interview them is not a fit just thank them and ask them for another person so what are some things you know i think finding a doctor personally finding a doctor that specializes in geriatrics is good but it may not be um possible in the community where you live right if you live in a small community um what are some things you should ask your doctor and what should you bring to provide as information for the doctor
1: mm-hmm well You certainly want to ask your doctor where they have admitting privileges, which means what Mm -hmm. hospitals, if your mother became very sick, what hospital would she get taken care of? Exactly. Where would she? And so, because you want to know that how far away is it? Have you been there before? Are you comfortable with that setting? Uh, You want to make sure, sure, it's really important. You want to make sure that you... um, uh, have a chance maybe to go over to that hospital and meet with the, there's always a volunteer staff uh, who can help make you comfortable with the setting. I know that sounds creepy to go look at a hospital, but it can be a very nice thing to say, this is this is our local setting and we just wanted to make sure we knew um, oh, yeah. what this door and they welcome that opportunity. Mm-hmm. The um, You know, you don't want to have your first trip be to the emergency room, which so often can be the case. When you're talking about flu, um, those symptoms can catch up with older people very rapidly, so you have mm-hmm. to stay on top of it. But uh, if, if it appears to be a flu that's um, uh, one that can be managed maybe at your CVS clinic or maybe yeah. at your – those are very good
2: options.
0: Absolutely. The key is, you know, everybody should get their doctor. I mean, you know, and, and at that point about the admitting hospital is really, really important because I'm shopping around for my own doc, primary care physician now and the admitting hospital is a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about two other things um, in, the, in the last bit of time here. Um, what should you, ask, this is always the touchy subject, what to ask your aging parents about their end of life plans. I've mm-hmm. had that discussion. Good for but you many don 't many don 't want to have it at all. I know David hasn't Many people listening probably have not What do you ask? and how do you yeah. approach it
1: well i I think that this is a great. Question: How we approach end-of-life conversations with our loved ones, and mm-hmm. you know Ellen Goodman, who I'm sure you're well aware of her work yes. called "The Conversation," has given a lot of good advice about how to start, how to make it a part of you know a normal exchange. We need to normalize this discussion about what would you want if this happened. I happen to be a nurse, and so for me, it's been a long time experience to talk with older people and say, you know, if if you if you're if all of a sudden you had Terrible trouble breathing. Would you want a breathing tube? That's a serious, serious Ooh, that's question. A good point. Wow. But you have to be able to ask a few of those and just say. Uh, and, and I've often been surprised when I thought an older person might say to me, "Well, I don't want that." Those are the people who turn to me and say, "Oh, yes, I do." So we want to know what the person's preferences are. We also want to uh, explain to them what it means to be in a circumstance where you have machines assisting you, um, mm-hmm. and and what that means to the the life course. If you're in a ICU, for example, you go to a hospital and you're in an intensive care unit, where will you be after that? And mm-hmm. and very often you'll see great results, um, because older people are, are living longer, living better. You know, mm-hmm. it is true that you know, you think about uh, 80 as the new 60 as it goes because there's a yeah. lot of functionality, uh, but you want to say, you know, if, if you couldn't breathe anymore, and, and breathing is a very good example because people can understand that. We've all mm-hmm. had a situation where we had breathing difficulty, so that's a great metaphor for what if
2: your heart stopped
0: a really really good point and i think that you know everybody should have it because you should never assume and the other t- touchy touchy issue is the downsizing issue you know some people do not want to downsize and go into assisted living you've got to really be very sensitive about that yes talking to an older adult because they don't want to be put to pasture exactly
1: right they don't they've got their home they've been there they're comfortable mm-hmm. they feel they're afraid uh, yeah the change is, is very frightening and yeah. so I think that that's another thing where the earlier you can talk about it, the better.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to have had that conversation with my mother. I didn't have it so much with my dad, which is why I learned to do it. And I believe in being very proactive. And my last question is, you know, let's talk about the John A. Hartford Foundation and how senior, what changes um, the organization has done to help seniors, just some key points so oh. people understand what the foundation is.
1: Sure, thank you for uh, giving me that opportunity. Our, our foundation, as I said, the Johnny Hartford Foundation based in New York City, was established in 1929 by John and George Hartford, and their money came from the A&P grocery stores. And whenever right. I say that, we all smile because so many of us remember A&P grocery stores. And they left mm-hmm. their fortune for the quote-unquote greater good, and the decision in the early 80s was that we would focus on better care for older adults, and we have stayed that course and will continue to stay that course. So we have funded projects at the Institute of Medicine on family caregiving. We have projects that relate to care alignment. That means when you have to coordinate mm-hmm. your primary care doctor with all your specialty doctors, that can be very con- mm-hmm. complex. We have a project on geriatric emergency rooms and how you can make it age-friendly. And so we also are think are working on an initiative on age-friendly hospitals because so many people go and tell stories about how this the, um, the experience was not positive. And so we really believe we can make a big difference. And then end-of-life serious illness. We're working with the nation's mm-hmm. leaders to help us think about how we can make progress to make sure everybody has an option for palliative care if they want it and everybody knows right. how to access hospice if that's for them.
0: Well, I think these are such important points. I just want to point out the website is www.. Also, so old saying www.jhartfound.org. Www.jhart, I just want to, uh, in, in my final I think that what the foundation is, is doing is great. I, it's amazing to me that we spend so much time and effort and money and physician care, under the care of physicians, preparing to give life and give birth. And I think we get shortchanged at the end.
1: Absolutely right. And, you know, while I'm here, I want to give a shout out to all the social workers, nurses, physical therapists, pharmacists, the whole array of our interdisciplinary team that makes this happen every day.
0: Well, I agree. I shout out to everybody, too, because you really are the angels on earth, all of you who are caregiving for loved ones and the social workers out there. Thank you so much, Dr. Terry Fulmer, for being on my show today. Again, we've been talking with Dr. Terry Fulmer, who's a tireless advocate for um, supporting and helping our nation's um, most precious citizens, our elderly, uh, through the John A. Hartford Foundation. Be well. Um, And thank you so much.
1: Melanie, thank you all. And it's a pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity.
0: Okay. Um, You were listening to Fearless Fabulous You. We're going to take a short break and be back and talk about another important topic, which is women's self-defense.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.
0: We're back with Fearless, Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young. Thank you for joining me today. And remember, you can hear all my shows on iHeart.com and the free iHeart app. I want to also invite you to come over and check out MelanieYoung.com and my wonderful books, um, which I have to do a shout out for. My first is Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the face of breast cancer. It is the ultimate navigational guide for anyone who is newly diagnosed. And trust me, it answers a lot of questions and provides a lot of handy checklists. And also, Fearless Fabulous You lessons on living life on your terms with my five pathways to recharge your mental batteries, release negative energy. Reconnect with your amazing skills, reframe negative and challenging situations for the best, and reframe life the way you want to live it on your terms. All my books are available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, my website, MelanieYoung.com, and at my pals at CuredDiva.com. So we're going to switch gears. Um, We're not because my mission is always to talk about topics that are very important to all women anywhere in the world, and this one is self-defense. And... I just want to say, you know, after watching the Oscars last night and Lady Gaga do that amazing song with all these people who, courageous people who came out who had been victims of sexual assault, it was a very powerful moment for those who didn't see it. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But the statistics are really daunting. Nearly 5.3 million incidences of domestic violence occur among U.S. women aged 18 years and older. Um, with 3.2 million occurring among men, every two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. That is a daunting year, and women are more likely to be assaulted than men. So I've invited... Uh Kelly Campbell from Kraba Maga Worldwide, um, a defense academy. They actually have a really amazing online defense academy. And Kelly is a third-degree black belt. That's the highest-ranking female instructor in the United States. She serves as she is the Director of Instructor Development and Training um, at Krav Maga worldwide, and she's also a certified civilian law enforcement instructor uh, and certified in many areas of self defense. She's also co-author of the book Krav Maga for Women: Your Ultimate Program for Self Defense. Kelly, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Well, I'm very impressed by your background. Just very briefly, what got you into this um, area of expertise?
2: Um, well, I always, um, I always kind of say that Krav Maga found me, um, it's a, it's a system that's really meant to, um, help people, um, feel more confident within themselves. Um, mm-hmm. I, I started training in it, um, it's been 18 years now. Um, mm-hmm. I went in for, actually for the cool factor, but started to see the extra benefits, um, that it helped me with, um, other things in my life that kept me from mm-hmm. experiencing things that I needed, um, So I started training about 18 years ago um, and fell in love with the system and the methods um, that are offered through the training uh, that helped Mm -hmm. me grow personally, um, you know, in my work environment as well as um, feeling safer just overall in life.
0: Well, I think it's very important that women learn basic self-defense um, because you just <laughs> never know. Let's talk about some of the most common situations that women face and how um, what you teach to help them deal with it. What are some of them?
2: Um, I think some of the, the very foundational um, elements are how you carry yourself. So when you learn to defend yourself through um, um, uh, through knowing how to strike and fend um, off an attacker, you become more confident, mm-hmm. you walk with confidence, and those elements will harden you as a target because people are looking for someone that is weaker that they don 't think will mm-hmm. fight back. Um, so by learning um, learning basic skills, punching punches, kicks, knees, elbows, um, awareness, um, you'll have more confidence within yourself and recognize that you can. Do what's necessary instead of living in the fear of wondering what if um,
0: would happen. You'll walk with more confidence are some of the very important elements. Well, I just want to talk about walking. First of all, size doesn't matter, right? You can be a small person or a large, right? You just need to know the skills, right? That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Okay, so listen, size, you're not too small, right? (laughs) Right.
2: No, one of the founders of our system, Marnie Levine, um she was mm-hmm. um, about five foot four and an amazing um, athlete um, able to do uh, defend off very large uh, opponents. So I've seen very small women uh, do good damage um, to protect themselves. Um we talk about walking with I... confidence. It's how you carry yeah. yourself, um mm-hmm. keeping your head up, your shoulders back, um, you know, if you if you look scared, shoulders rounded, head down, uh, people are going to see that opportunity to approach you. Um, so, you know, by keeping your head up and being alert um, can be a, a very good deterrent. Um, and just one so I just want to segue things. there
0: for the ninety nine point nine million people that are now walking around with their heads down, looking at their mobile <laughs> devices. Mm-hmm. and their shoulders are crunched over you are victims you are you are tar- you are moving targets because you're not paying attention yes right yes there yeah a huge so never stop stop devices. looking yeah. <laughs> it's really a serious problem i mean first of all you're going to walk into something so your own your own worst enemy i've seen people break their i've seen people break their nose walking into scaffolding because they're busy texting but more importantly someone is going to be looking like for somebody like you walking down the street, distracted, texting, or talking, hunched over, and there you are a target. So, if somebody grabs you, and you're probably going to be grabbed from behind, more like are people grabbed from behind or front? Is there a um, is,
2: yes? There it, there's there's a, yes. It could very well be from behind. Um, assaults can definitely happen from front the front as well. Um, but um, if they're able to sneak up on you because you're distracted, then that would be. Um, a very common position. So what do you do? Well, um, the first thing that you want to think about, and obviously everything takes training. You've got to get in there. You've got to practice. Um, But if I'm um, grabbed from behind, um, I want to do my best to turn in, and I want to strike as soon as possible. Um, Hmm. I don't want to wait for additional opportunities. If some stranger puts their hands on me, that that to me is a threat. So um, I'm, I want to turn in with um, with strikes to eliminate them as a threat, so they can't continue. So dirty fighting, eye gouging, going for the groin. If I have something in my hands, like a you know coffee or keys, I could use that as a weapon um, to get them away. I want to be loud. I want to bring yeah. attention to the situation. So I'm going to yell and scream. Get off me! Stay away from me! Um, this mm-hmm. guy attacking me. Something that will bring attention to the situation. Um, I think by using words is safer than just a screaming, Um, obviously that takes practice, but a lot of people don't want to interfere if they think, oh, it's a domestic violence, they're just arguing, it's not really a big threat, so there's that that deterrent that sometimes happens, unfortunately, in our society, Um, but um, being able to use your words can help you out a lot as well
0: yeah and and you know it's not just a stranger attacking you it could be someone you know because a lot of it is domestic violence which means the person attacking you could be a spouse or a, a boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, too many cases of that or, or a, a, a colleague at work and um, you three points you made that I just want to get scream use your you know, bite I'm a big biter kick, punch and I like to hold your keys I think that's important when you're walking. You're not gonna have your keys around, but just kinda know where you have a have something that you can gouge somebody with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's 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 lots of things you can add something
2: to a keychain. Um, you can um, you know have a, a tactical flashlight. Certain things like that are easy to use to ha- as an improvised weapon that also have other benefits in them uh, for you. Um, and um, right. you know when we talk about domestic violence, there's definitely you had mentioned something about one of the books that you have your the uh, fearless fabulous for you. fearless um, fabulous
0: you right Mm -hmm. yeah
2: so just some of the things that you said in your title are so important to also helping with people with um the more confidence you have in you and being okay with living your life the way that you want to live it those elements come into the beginning stages of domestic violence because these predators they're trying to control someone and manipulate them and it comes even without a violent aggression but it starts with you know taking away simple things as far as um You know, what types of movies do you watch? Are you always eating the food that they want? All of these little elements, um, doing things the way that they want to do it all the time and not the way that you want to, um, Mm -hmm. people start to get programmed to just say okay to doing things that they don't want to do. And then they start to become prone to not speaking up for themselves. Um, So those are all elements that can help with um, domestic violence in early stages. Um, by being more confident as a person and getting out of those, seeing the early signs of getting out of the relationships.
0: Really good points. I know it's hard, you know, it's easier to talk about it than do it, but when you're in a situation and you may have children, you don't know where to go, and he may, you know, have the purse strings. And, you know, I just yeah. want to address that. If you're working, if you have a job, start your own bank account. Yeah. Always have your nest egg. Always ha- maintain some level of independence. You don't want to be codependent in the relationship, right? No, it's very true. And i I do
2: understand it's difficult when you you have someone that you 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 loved, and then things change, and now you've got this whole life situated, and it's hard to take that step out. Um, and that was something that happened for me in my experience that uh, my relationship became. Um, um, not so comfortable. Um, it was mostly verbal abuse, but it started to get mm-hmm. physical. And then when I had my son, um, that was really the thing for me is I didn't want him to experience it. Um, and I, I, I think I was one of the lucky ones. I got out early, um, but it was mm-hmm. hard and I definitely get that. So having the independence is important. Having support and talk to your friends and family, the more isolated you keep yourself, the harder it is to step out of that isolation.
0: Absolutely, and and so in your own did, was your own personal experience your reason d'etre for going into teaching self defense. You know, were you I already have, doing it.
2: No, I actually wasn't, um, and I, I didn't. I didn't go to Krav Maga to teach. Um, mm-hmm. It was just something that I ended up being really good at, and I don't mm-hmm. say that about many things, but it clicked for me. It clicked my soul, and I found that once I started teaching, that people connected to me in that way. So I was able to reach people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I continued, because I saw that it was a benefit, and I started my women's program, and I saw how um, my words were helping other people. Um, so mm-hmm. I, and It sounds a little weird, but I felt like it was then, this is where I should be. If I can help other people in this area, then that's what, that's what I should be doing.
0: Now, Croft Maga, I know you do a lot of physical teaching, physical combat and self-defense. Do you also do with, the, like we just talked about, the emotional aspect um- of it?
2: Not not so directly, um we mm-hmm. do here at, at the at the national training center and many and many of the schools um across the nation have a little bit more specifically where they they deal with that side, but I do work with a lot of mm-hmm. the the shelters and um organizations that that once they have people survivors that are ready for this type of training, they'll bring them to me um and then mm-hmm. we work with them. um and I've had many women that have. Ah, really felt that this was the next step to helping them, you know, get over their encounters, the survivors, and feel that they can start to, um, you know, get back to a normal life and and stop living in fear. Right. Um, so there's, um, we talk about a mindset, in being, mm-hmm. you know, willing to make that effort to defend yourself, um, and protect yourself. And for a lot of, in a lot of cases, women are more willing to protect their loved ones, their yeah. children their sisters, yeah. their brothers and they are themselves. And sometimes they need that permission and to
0: hear that to take those steps. And those are things that we well, definitely
2: do focus on.
0: I couldn't agree with you more and I'll have to send you a copy of Fearless Fabulous Shoe because it, it comes from that. My predator was cancer. And um, just a series of unfortunate situations, but it's, you know, you, it's, it goes through that same process where you've got to work through the fear and realize that maybe if I put, you, you put yourself first, you wouldn't be in this, you know, you can't blame yourself, but you should always put yourself first and give yourself permission to be selfish because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're um, endangering your health or your life. That's very good. So, what are some things it? that, yeah, it's, it's really key in, in every aspect of your life. I have to ask, I always do the what should you do, but I also need to ask the what should you not do if you were being assaulted or um, in a potential situation where you're you know, dealing with a predator.
2: Um, well, I, you know, that's a, it's a tough question because what you may think you shouldn't do sometimes might be the best tactic at the time based on your situation. So, uh-huh. um, again, being aware. Um, but should you be in a situation, if you have someone that's trying to get you into a car to take you from point A to point B, I definitely don't want to do that. I want to do everything yeah. that I can possible to try to run or fight or scream to keep from mm-hmm. doing that because then the chances of survival do become less and less. Um, right. Um, it, it, I, I, I struggle with what not to do because sometimes, again, tactics. Um, being able, mm-hmm. the more you train, the more you understand, and you can stay calm so that you can mm-hmm. assess, is it best for me to be quiet right now and not move? Is it, be, is it my opportunity to fight back? Am I in, in the right position? Right. Um, so the more you educate yourself, Right? We, if we want to, whatever our profession is, we want to be a, an attorney or uh, an accountant, we go to school, we learn mm-hmm. how to do that. We need to do those same things for our own protection and learn self-defense um, and um, get into classes and train. Be okay with causing bodily harm if you need to because you have mm-hmm. to fight violence with violence.
0: Very, very good point. And I think that I think that what not to do is, is well, taken. They're really, the, you know the main rule is protect yourself at all costs. But you also have to figure out when you're dealing with the person... Who is coming at you? You know, sometimes screaming will make it worse, and sometimes talking a low voice is better, and sometimes crying doesn't work at all. And, and you don't know because you're not a psychologist. You're being, you know, you're being, you're being attacked. But you just kind of have to gauge it um, because many people have tossed person- their way yeah.
2: out of situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've Atlanta like that. House and she was held hostage and she befriended him and there's a the whole movie. It was fascinating. But I, I would think that um remaining as calm as you can is probably a good idea because any started hysteria or emotions could get that person in another situation that may be in a worse place.
2: Well, you never um, know what's going to trigger someone or what they're, they, what they right. want from you. But, um, and you can't control that. You don't know when they're going to snap to the next level. But right. by staying calm, not only does it potentially um, not, it, it, regardless of what it may do to their reaction, it's going to help you be able to focus so that you know what to do and you're seeing more. right. If, if you can keep yourself under control, keep your breathing good, you can check your surroundings, look around. Is there an improvised weapon? Is there an exit? What's going on? What, what, does this person have a weapon? Do they not? Um, are there more than one person? If you go to hysteria, you might not see certain opportunities that you could have used to escape or defend yourself. So there's a huge benefit to trying right. to stay as calm as possible.
0: Well, that's a really good point. You know, I just want to build on that. You know, if you're going into a building or a situation, do become familiar with the surroundings and where the exits are. And it's not only because of potential um, attack. And and in this case, it could be one-on-one attack or it could be, God forbid, a terrorist. It's any kind of attack. Just know how to get out. No, your ingress and egress where you're going um, yes. so that you, you, you can protect yourself that way. Uh, and, and then if they have a weapon, is you know what do you do if they have a, they have a weapon in your face? You know, we have a um, lot of slashers in New York right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been reading. New York, there seems to be a slashing incident a week. Oh, like, wow. What do you do? Yeah, um, scary. You know,
2: uh, weapons are very difficult. Again, I think that if we can stop the hard drive, right? Like, so one mm-hmm. of our our primary when we talk about defending and counterattacking simultaneous we send violent aggressive counterattacks if someone has a weapon and i feel like and they're in action if i don't know a defense um, and i can't get away i'm going to hit them as hard as i can as many times mm-hmm. as i can um, ideally i'd want to try to control right. the weapon to get it out of their possession um, but if i don't have that if all you know you mm-hmm. can use your your purse or your bag to Um, try to block the weapon, um, to try to hit them or kick them as hard as you can to stop them from being able to continue at you. And, again, using your words and yelling. um, But, um, you know, you've got to hit them as hard as you can. Yeah. And uh, if you can run, obviously that's great. But when somebody's actively on you, that becomes very difficult.
0: Yeah. I mean, because in one wrong move and, and, you know... um, yeah, you, know, you gotta d again, if you can do it, try to keep your head, try to keep it low, do whatever. And and so let's just talk about um and, and the last question with Krav Maga, where can people go for more information and, and, and can you sign up at any time to take a course? Or they run specific times of the year.
2: No, um we have ongoing classes. It's Krav Maga Worldwide. It's K R A V M A G A K R A V Maga, right? Yes. Um, We have schools Mm -hmm. all over. Classes um, are uh, constantly ongoing. You don't have to wait for um, beginning sessions. Um, We have online training now. If you go to our website, you go to locations, you'll see the online academy. Um, We have uh, weapon defenses. Mm -hmm. We have anti-bullying. Shortly, soon, uh, later uh, this year, we'll have the women's um, Mm self-defense course online, um, so you can learn it from your home. Um, find a training partner, work on techniques, uh, but nothing compares to getting on-the-mat training. hmm Getting into a training center um, and finding um, a, a certified uh, uh, instructor that can um, aid you in your path. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, you know, and I I have to confess, I've never taken a self-defense course. But after you know doing the research for this show and thinking about it, I certainly want to. And particularly, I'm older. You know, you can do this at any age. I mean, what you right? You can do this when you're young or you're older. Absolutely, I I
2: have I have a student that joined at fifty three, and she's been with me for seven years now.
0: Mm -hmm. So people start at all different ages. It's never too late to start training. Bottom line, you need to be fearless at every age. And I just want to add um, that if you need additional information on domestic violence and help, um, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, ncadv.org, has a lot of um, information and resources. There are many hotlines. You are not alone. Don't let domestic violence get the worst of you. You can bring out the best of you and get fierce and fearless and go get trained and be smart. I want to thank you, Kelly Campbell, for sharing your own personal story and your insights on self-defense. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having uh, me. Absolutely, and again, we're talking. We've been talking with Kelly Campbell of Krav Maga. www.kravmaga.com, and that is another show of fearless, fabulous you with your host, me, moi, Melanie Young. Please write me at MelanaYoung.com. And again, um, check out my books, Getting Things Off My Chest, and Fearless Fabulous You. Wednesdays, you'll hear me on W4CY and iHeart with my husband, David Ransom. We host The Connected Table live on Food, Beverage, Wine, and Spirits, So check it out, 2 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Have a fearless, fabulous week. Yeah. How you feel about this? Do it I want if I want to. If I worked hard and sacrificed to get what I get, ladies, it ain't easy being independent. Question: How'd you like this balance that I brought? Bragging on that cash that he gave you is the front. If you're gonna brag, make sure it's your money in front. You know no one else to give you what you want. on my